Welcome to the Painting of the Week podcast, where we look at some of the most significant paintings throughout history. Introducing your hosts, Phil Grabsky and Laura Bentham. Hello, welcome to Painting of the Week. I'm Phil. And I'm Laura. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about a painting. Well, it's not a painting. No. We're going to talk about an artwork that no. is... <clears throat> 2,100 years old. So often we've been talking about paintings that have maybe been 100 years old, 200 years old, maybe with Bruegel going back even further than that, Leonardo, 500 years old. This artwork is 2,100 years old. And I have been very lucky because I've seen it in person in Naples and I've seen uh, where the replica of it and the position of it, where it originally was placed, which is in Pompeii. Um, it's called the Alexander Mosaic. And just a reminder, if you want to uh, look at the picture while we're talking about it, if you go to the seventh-art.com website, there is an image of it, as there is with all, always with the podcasts. <laughs> Now, of course, when you've got it on your screen, uh, just to help you a little bit, it is about, I don't know, 2.83 metres by 5 metres. It is very large. And just so it's very clear from the beginning, this is not a painting. It's not a fresco. This is made up of tiny little squares of marble. And there is an estimated one and a half million little squares of marble that were in the original, um, as I would understand it. Or I could be wrong. Maybe that's the one and a half million squares that are currently in this version, which is obviously a bit damaged. Yeah. Um, I've got one and a half million down. One and a half million. One and a half million. It's quite, <laughs> I mean, there's so much to say about this. Um, it's the House of Fawn uh, in, in Pomp. I mean, if any, you know, anyone who's never been to Pompeii, that has got to be on your list okay. of places to it's on visit. on my list. I haven't been. Oh. Oh, I know. <laughs> the is. House of Fawn looks incredible. Pompeii, and even more so Herculaneum, which is just down, down it's very close to Pompeii. Um, talk about time capsules. I mean, quite mm. extraordinary. Mm. So, again, for those who don't know, Vesuvius erupts and... Pompeii is a, is a pretty decently sized town. Got a lot of wealthy people in there. Um, volcano erupts. And, you know, some people think, oh, you know, lava f came coursing through the streets of, of Pompeii. Well, it wasn't like that. What initially happened was that it was um, basically swamped with noxious gases mm. and very, very fine black powder, essentially, and the powder just filled up everything. So it filled up the roads. It filled up the, the um, buildings. It's okay. like water. Like yeah. A, so imagine flooding. But this was like powder, oh. dust. People died from the gases, and then they were surrounded by this dust. And it went up pretty much, as I understand it, to about the first floor level, um, at which point then there was a... Um, what do they call it? A pyro, pyro. Anyway, a uh, the lava then did the lava then did flow. <laughs> yeah, and basically, obviously, that just shaved everything off the top, 
but it, it entombed everything underneath it. Okay. So when you see those famous, um, you know, the, 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 the kind of the, the bodies. Yeah. So what's happened there is that when they've eventually uncovered Pompeii, which is, you know, almost, what, 1,800 years later, um, they've basically found the the holes, if you like. So the body had been in there, the body's decomposed, but into that chamber they would pour plaster. Right, And okay. the plaster would form the shape of a human being in, in real distress, of course. Yeah. And it's extraordinarily moving. But it's not only the human forms or the shape of the human form that was saved, but in, in this case it was also artworks. I mean, so graffiti, the graffiti on the walls in Pompeii is fantastic. There was, there'd been an election campaign only shortly before. and the Comments. Yeah. It's such an easy thing to say, but they were just like us. <laughs> And um, without some of the technology, of course. But it's funny there was graffiti, oh. and the graffiti survives as well. Graffiti, yeah. So I mean, the they, the excavation that's and amazing. I, and they haven't uncovered it all. Some of it they've left for future generations to 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 dig out. Oh. Herculaneum was even better preserved, actually. And Herculaneum is definitely worth seeing. It's, you almost get an even greater sense of what it was like. Yeah. And if you can't get down to Naples, go to a place called Ostia, which is on the port um of rome and that's slightly different that was just kind of abandoned um but that's a remarkable place well because the volcano was coming no no so rome no no rome's nothing to do with the volcano it was just it was just just abandoned just survived Uh uh-huh um i mean we made a series called i caesar and some of the best places to see roman ruins are actually north africa and um jordan places like that where these remarkable Roman cities, amphitheatres and and villas, and they were basically absorbed and covered by sand. Mm-hmm. They were abandoned and, and nomadic tribes weren't that interested or whatever. So again, the sand has preserved them. Yeah. And sometimes you go into these theatres and it just feels like yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mosaics play an enormous... I mean... I'll never forget the day we we visited and then subsequently filmed in Tunis. They've got the most amazing mosaic museum in Tunis. They are the most beautiful works of art. And you've got everything. You've got portraits and you've got vines and you've got animals. And, of course, North Africa used to have a lot of the wild animals we now associate with southern Africa. Um, You know, they would have elephants and lions and... You know, a lot of them were then taken to Rome and were kind of used in their gladiatorial games. And yeah, it's a fascinating technique, isn't it? Mosaic. It means so time-consuming, and oh, I just don't know how they managed to get this. Like it is, it's incredible. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's this, amazing. Th- there is a thought with this <laughs> that it's a copy mm. of a painting. Or a fresco from two or three hundred years earlier. Okay. Which, is, which has been lost. So to what extent it's an accurate copy, it's hard to tell. Right. I'll have a think about that. But the, the, the Roman, and to some extent the Greek, but the Roman artisans that could create these kind of mosaics, you know, they could do it from scratch too. It didn't have to be copying something from earlier in history. No. And if you... If you look at it, you know, the perspective, the foreshortening of the horses, the the characterization on the faces, 
the shading. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it looks, you know, as we're looking at it now on a, on a screen, it looks like it's painted yeah. very carefully. It's all tiny, tiny little bits of marble. So you've seen the replica in the House of Fawn. So the House of Fawn has a replica. Yeah. And the real uh, one's in? It's in it's beautiful, fab, one of my favourite museums in the world, the Archaeological Museum in Naples. Okay. Another um, place to go. Oh, uh, 100%. <laughs> Naples is yeah, no, I'd love to go absolutely there. such a place to visit. And, of yeah. course, they have in there so many things that, that were then rescued from the coastline because it's not just Pompeii and Herculaneum no. that were affected by the Vesuvius explosion but all these villas up and down the coast you know within range of of the lava flow and they found the most amazing um artworks you know we've 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 perhaps talked before i mean the film that we made last year but was delayed because of covid so it's coming out this year and we're so in um what november 2021 Mm -hmm. We're releasing our Raphael film. Oh, yeah. You can't understand artists like Raphael without understanding that just at the time that he's painting in the Mm -hmm. 16th century, in Rome, they are uncovering all these amazing Roman statues that have been buried, that have been covered up by earth and whatnot. And they're pulling out these statues and they're saying, this is, how did these people 1600 years before us, how were they so good? (laughs) So it'd be yeah, like if exactly. you found something in your garden now yeah. <laughs> from the 4th century and it's the most beautiful statue or the most beautiful kind of jewellery yeah. or you're thinking, really? Uh, How do they do that? Mm-hmm. No formal training. No formal training. Well. Or maybe, do you think? Oh, uh, they had workshops. I mean, I think one of the things was they just, they realised just how much formal training they did have, all these sculptures. Uh-huh. and So you would have had groups of, you know, you'd have had workshops of of people doing mosaics. Yeah. Um, all right. What do we know about... Let's, let's start with the subject matter of the... <laughs> now, I know you've done a little bit of reading about <laughs> well, this. So what do we know? Six pages. <laughs> Alexander the Great. Laura, it's brilliant. <laughs> okay, what do you know? Well, only that he... he God, he liked, a, he liked a bit of a fight, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did love a... Well, he did love a bit of a fight. He was from Macedonia. Yep. Started off... I mean, he did travel. Yeah. And I can't, I just can't work out. Sometimes when I was watching some of the things I was watching, I thought, even I go so really weird things to start thinking about how they cooked for everybody. And, you know, these people are not going to fight on an empty stomach and just silly things like that. Just how do they get all the food and the camps? And, but he went miles over eight years. Yeah. To what they called was sort of the end of Asia or end of the world. Or the known world. Yeah. So yes, I did do my best. Uh, but yes, he certainly did. And There's a lot of people around because of all the battles he had, I suppose. And a lot of people not around because of them. Well, <laughs> I mean, he changed history. Yes. I mean, we have to be. The thing that's interesting about this, of course, is this is a work of propaganda. Mm. So it was propaganda when it was first let's say, painted. Yeah. And it's propaganda now for this wealthy Roman family. Mm -hmm. So one has to be a little bit cautious about what really happened, what he was, who Alexander really was, what 
this battle really was and how it's being presented. But what we know, Alexander the Great, my first, is it my first? Uh, well, the first history series that I made for Channel 4 was called The Great Commanders. Yeah. And uh, Channel 4 in the UK, they'd never done military history before, and it took about a year to get through. On the one hand, I had <laughs> I had two commissioning editors really supporting me, and I had a couple of people saying, Channel 4 shouldn't be doing military history. That's not our remit. Right. So it took a while. Anyway, anyway in the end, we got away. And it was six films about six military commanders. And the from Alexander, it was by accident from A to Z. It was Alexander the Great. And then we did Julius Caesar, Horatio Nelson, Napoleon, Ulysses S. Grant, and Marshal Georgi Zhukov, who basically <laughs> is the most important commander of the Second World War. There's no question that people like Rommel and... The rest of them were important. When you think 20-odd million Russians died, Georgi Zhukov, the most important commander of the Second World War. Okay. Well, I think I need to watch that one then. Do you know what? It's funny. Of all the films we have on um, platforms like Amazon, mm. The Great Commanders is still frequently the most popular. You know, we get quarterly reports. Yeah. Um, something really appealing about the mix of history and military history. And the way that we did it was we... Because most of my films have been biographical, not entirely intentionally, but I just love looking at people's lives mm. and trying to turn that into a film. We've talked about this before. But what I did with this one was that each film focused on one battle. Okay. So Napoleon was the Battle of Austerlitz. Okay. Georgi Zhukov was the Battle of Berlin. And actually, Alexander the Great, we did focus on the Battle of Issus. Right. This is the Battle of Issus. Yes. Alexander the Great, son of Philip, Macedon, and incidentally, there's still a dispute, you know, about the use of the word Macedonia. Oh, so even okay. today, the Greeks claim Macedonian as their own, in a sense, and then you've got the you've got the former Yugoslavian state of Macedonia. Anyway. Well, there's um, always a fight, isn't there? <laughs> there's always the, a bit of argy-bargy. Well, this, this, <laughs> this seems to be, you know, we're talking, what, 330-odd BC. yeah. So 2,300 and something years ago. And the Macedo Macedonians, the Greeks, you've got the Macedonians, the Spartans, the Athenians, but you've also got the Persians. Mm. Persians were a major cult, you know, empire. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that is worth bearing in mind these days when America kind of gets into to such fights with Iran. Iran thinks to itself, yeah, but we're the descendants of the Persians, what are you? <laughs> and it's just to help understand the, yeah, yeah. The, the Iranian way of thinking. Mm. They know they've got two and a half thousand years of history. Yeah. And that's not only fighting, that's also culture. So sometimes they, I think they get, they, they, that plays into the way that they, they view the, the United States anyway. Don't want to go off on a tangent. Alexander the Great mm -hmm. decides he wants to conquer the... Persians. That's quite something for a small state. Anyway, first of all, he unites the Greek states. Yeah. And what you said about the logistics is absolutely the case. You know, <sighs> an army, was it Napoleon says an army marches on its stomach? Yeah. And so it's fascinating to look. We, did, we talk about it in the film, how he organises himself, 
how he organizes the train that comes behind him, how they get, how they feed themselves, how they water themselves. It's incredible. It is it incredible. Is, it just, I just can't, I and can't fathom it. And you can only go, the fastest you can travel is the speed of a horse. Mm. And that horse, by the way, is called Bucephalus. It's a very famous horse. And even the horse is kind of giving its own little funky hairdo there, isn't it? It's got nice curly hair and it's... <laughs> to match Alexander's. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, so he, 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 he's, he comes down to the battle between these two great leaders. Mm-hmm. You've got Alexander on the left with his flowing locks and almost like a Roman nose and he's very, you know, no helmet. Opposite him, and who he's looking straight at, is the Persian king, Darius. Darius, as you can see, is scared. Mm. And he's got every reason to be scared because he is losing this particular battle. Won't go into too much detail except to say that um, we went to find the actual battle site. Oh, right. And I don't even know if I could get there now because of, you know, recent politics. Yeah. It's um, right on the Turkish-Syrian uh, border, on the coast there, and there was a particular stream or you know, small river that came down to the coast, and they were the, the armies were ranged up on either side. Persians was a much bigger army, but um, Alexander, through his wile, through his training of his army, was able to defeat. Darius actually flees. He's ultimately killed. Alexander is very gracious towards Darius's wife. And oh. anyway, there's a whole big story. Mm-hmm. But this is the depiction of the crucial moment when, whether they ever got this close, who can tell. But you can see that Darius's army is about to f- turn and flee. Yeah. So he's terrified. There's a horse showing you its rear, which is either being rather making a rude point about Darius or it's just showing that the horses are turning and fleeing. Got the horses on the right about to run away. Obviously, some of it's damaged on the left, so we can't quite see Alexander's own. Can I ask you a question about that damage then? Yeah. Do you... So with the the one that's at the House of Fawn now, the replica, have they done it... Have they made it with the damage? Yeah, I don't... I, do you know, I, I actually... To be honest, I can't remember. No. But, I mean, if they had... If they've put something in there, they've made it up, mm, obviously. Okay. I think they It's would've... funny that the damage is there, isn't it, on that side? All at that side, nearly. Is it because people, do you think, would have walked over No, no, it it's and... nothing to do with that. It's, no. It's, it's obviously when the... Um, explode, you know, the volcanic explosion has happened. Just so happened it was on that side? Well, I mean, there's various possibilities. The most likely is that when they started to excavate, mm. they might... I actually don't know. No. I'm guessing. I think we're all going to be guessing on all of this, though, aren't we? But it might be that, for whatever reason, maybe lava actually made contact. Oh, okay. And there's no way you can get lava off without damaging okay. it. It may be that when they first were excavating it, they were a bit haphazard there. Oh, yeah. It may have been that it was already damaged. Mm. Um through, you know, as you say, mis- I, it's, it, you just don't when, know. I mean, there had been an earthquake um, in Pompeii, which had caused damage. So actually, some of the damage you see in Pompeii now precedes the explosion of Vesuvius. So it may have been damaged. Uh, I, I mean, an expert might be able to, to, to gather that. Mm-hmm. But there are certainly, in Tunis and in Naples, there are certainly plenty of mosaics that are in full. 
Really? And it's obviously a great shame that that one is damaged. Mm. Because, of course, what you've lost is you can see... Yeah, you can see bits of the wheels down there, the chariots. Yeah. And... uh, He's luckily, luckily. Yeah, his face. And of course, that picture is used all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that is, you know, that is a picture on his um, on his breastplate. That is, um, what's he called? Gorgon. I have absolutely no idea, Phil. Yeah, <laughs> I can't he, help you. Well, it's the it's the. <laughs> if you look at it, it's supposed to turn into stone. Anyways, um. But Darius's lot, with their kind of more Persian armour, and mm. I just think, you know, you look at it, there's... there's And the horses, and then there's that shield, the one that's on the floor, mm. and he's looking at his face, yeah, he's reflected, obviously... which is just below the black horse. Yeah, he's obviously you know, yeah. aware mm. that he's about to be killed. Yeah, I don't think there's much hope for him. But you know, it's it's the 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 noise and the mm. you can feel the noise mm. and the din of battle. Mm. Um, so that's that's what the picture is about. Now, you can imagine that at the time, Alexander, who's travelling east, Alexander gets all the way to India. It's incredible. All the way, <laughs> all the way to India or Pakistan, as we now know it, in mm. India. It is thought. So anytime you see a city called Alexandria or some yeah. some kind of form of, of that name, or Iskenderun or places like that, um, it's it's places that he has named or named mm. after him. It is thought he dies in in um near Alexandria. No one's entirely sure. Doesn't um, his army just get a bit fed up? Of towards course. the end. They're having enough, they want to go home. Yeah, yeah. Can you mm. imagine they're away for it? I don't know what it is. Eight, over eight years. Over eight was years. it? Or are you saying more? But even if they're, and even if they're collecting um, booty, yeah. they can't do anything with it. They just no. sort of carry it with them. And then if they have a bad battle, then they might lose their booty. Uh, and plus you've got continuous illness and yeah. you know, maybe there are times when the food is running low. And Imagine surviving that many battles actually coming out. I wonder, if, I wonder how many actually did get back. Yeah, I wonder how many started and how many survived. I mean, I just can't imagine. Do you know, when Napoleon invaded Russia in 1812, he went off with over half a million soldiers. I mm. think he came back with something like, I don't know, 30,000. Really? I mean, it's just <laughs> absurd. Mm. The amount of, of the amount of people that have died in warfare mm. on this amazing planet of mm. ours is just ridiculous. Um, but he ends up fighting with a lot of his own commanders as well, doesn't he, towards the end, which, you know, seems a bit... They want to go stuck with him as well, and then they want to go home. I know. Um, so let's go back to mm. to um, the manufacture because I, I'd like to tell you. In my house, I've got all sorts of little objects that I've picked up along the way, particularly from. I mean, when I was making the series about, um, well, about great commanders, but even more so, I Caesar, and we went all the way around the Mediterranean. Um. And we were, you know, I've got all these various bits and bobs. And one thing that I've got, uh, if, I were, if I was going to do a show and tell, yeah, you know, if somebody said, come to my school and do a show and tell, <laughs> this, is the, this, is, this would be my first choice. Right. <laughs> we were in Tunisia. I can't even remember the name of the town, but it's an old Roman 
town. Mm. And it was kind of abandoned. But you can go down there now and you can see there's an arch. It was all covered in sand and they've uncovered it. Uh, but it's not visited very often. So it's kind of a lot of rubble lying around. Yeah. And, you know, you go there, you do some filming. And then, I don't know, I'm just inquisitive. So just, you just start scrabbling about the rubble. Oh, yeah, I definitely would do that. Now, I wouldn't steal anything. So no. sometimes, in Libya too, this was the case, you know, there could be quite big chunks of mosaic on the ground. Yeah. Well, you know, if everyone took it, took this stuff, there'd be nothing left. Mm. So you deliberately don't. But on this pile of rubble, which was just piled up, it was just bits of stone and rocks. And I saw a little chunk of white marble, but it was all very uneven. And I thought, that's a nice, strange looking thing. So I picked it up and very quickly I realised what it was. And I must admit, I hope I'm not going to get into trouble with the Tunisian authorities. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> They're coming right now. But I kept it. Oh, no. Allegedly. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I realised what it was. And it took me back 2,000 years straight away to some guy possibly a woman, but unlikely, a guy sitting cross-legged mm. who's been delivered a piece of white marble and he's basically taking out the little, little squares for mosaics. Because oh. on this white bit of marble, what you see is just all the little gaps where little little squares being carved out. Oh. So, so this looks like a misshapen yeah, yeah. lump. But look carefully and you can see what, is, what it was for. Okay, so they actually carved them out because I thought... They just did a, you know, got the hammer and started smashing it like you do now. Well, imagine one and a half million of these things. Yeah. So basically they're given a bit of marble, probably little chunks of marble, and Mm. they just have to create from that chunk of marble as many tiny little little squares as they possibly can. Now, marble. Oh, I'd love to make a film just about marble. Do it. Why not? (laughs) if If there's one product that for me demonstrates the extraordinary nature of the Roman Empire, it's mm, marble. Mm-hmm. Roman, Roman Empire was encircled what they call Mare Nostrum, RC in the Mediterranean. And, um, okay, as I understand it, and I'm very happy for someone to correct me, but oh, yeah. marble for, comes from various mines, but it's always different. Mm-hmm. You won't get a kind of particular green veined marble from two different mines. It okay. just comes from just the way of nature. So, for example, you know, it is extraordinarily lucky for our history that in Carrara, north of Pisa, there is this mountain of pure white, easily, relatively easily sculptable. Marble. marble because from that we get david we get you know that's what michelangelo would go there and spend three or four months trying to get the a block of marble with pure white so oh. you can imagine pure white marble mm-hmm. but elsewhere you have purple you have green you have red and the romans this is what i find so extraordinary they knew where all these marbles were so they're all in different parts of the empire mm-hmm and you have these kind of designers. So when somebody's building a villa, yeah, basically these are facades. They're about a quarter of a centimetre thick, these sheets of marble. So again, I don't even know how they cut it that well. No. Completely flat. I mean, it must have been just the most fine-toothed saws 
just sawing across a block of marble to create this thin sheet, which they then have to transport hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles <laughs> because some guy, in this case in Tunisia, yeah. has said, okay, in my bathroom, I want purple. <laughs> this is true, eh? Yeah, it's great. In my living room, I want green here with a bit of red. And this is these are all being shipped. So you've got all these people to Ostia. I talked about Ostia, the port of Ostia. You know, you can you can still see today they've got um, the in fact little mosaics in front of the um, uh, warehouses on the port, which would tell you what the products were. Right. So you'd have the marble, the whole this whole chain of people dealing with marble. So you've got your mine in in Turkey, and you've got the guy in in uh, Tunisia who says I want purple in my toilet, <laughs> and. So then that, that that information goes off to another dealer, goes off to another dealer. Somebody eventually rolls up in that mine. Yeah. Uh, or the, the, the marble's been delivered to Rome. Or it's been Unbelievable. So you'll get these villas, yeah. and some of these places still exist, where you have all these multi, multicoloured marbles. Oh. Um, Go on, but of you, course, please make the marble documentary. Oh, it would be brilliant. It but would it, be brilliant. But of course, imagine here. Mm. So... It's not a painter no. with all these pigments of colour, but basically these guys are sitting down. They've got. A, they've got obviously. I presume they would draw it out first. Yeah. Um, but then they've got must have pots and pots and pots and pots of pots of all the different as many different coloured marbles as they can possibly get, and it's not like this. It's not like there's five or six different colours here. No. It's not like it's just yellow, blue, red. Mm. You've got shades, so they're like, okay, we need a darker one here, we need a lighter yeah. one there. Yeah. And they must have to keep going back to see if it's working and go forward. Yeah. I think it's just, it's just. It is. It's phenomenal. Actually, when you talk about it like that, that saying that these different pots of marble from everywhere, I mean, that's when it does now take a whole different meaning, doesn't it? Look at this, like you said about the horse. Yeah. The different shades just on the horse. Yeah, to the back. I mean, it's phenomenal. It's just phenomenal. And look at those tiny little horses there on the yeah on the chariots. I know. I mean, it's oh, just it's just, it just something else. So someone, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, they've ordered you know yellow <laughs> yellow marble, and even the yellows, if you look carefully, there are different shades mm. of yellow there. So yeah, all of these marbles then coming together. Mind you, I tell you one, I can't see purple. Well, so the, the I think that's purple there. Oh, do you? Okay, but look at the look it's at the amazing. look at this this guy here underneath. Yeah, go down if you look from Darius going down. One of his kind of surfs is very scared. Look at look at his mm. Persian trousers there. Yeah, kind of red with a little bit of design on them, and then white shoes. Oh, the, the dead, expressions the, on the plate. That horse, the dead horse. Yeah, the horse is. But again, the perspective of mm. that. So there's there's a guy who's and the hoofs there yeah that's amazing. So that's a Persian there, judging by his trousers and his shoes. Mm. His, his horse has been killed. Mm. Yeah. Well, now you said that, I'm definitely it's quite brilliant. Isn't the little it? face as well, back in that reflection. I know that's. I'm fascinated by that face. Yeah. I really am. Yeah. Oh look, we've really got into this now. Okay. Wow. Now, why would why why would the um, okay so, <laughs> Pompeii 
not the wealthiest town in, in, in the Roman Empire, but any stretch of the imagination. Um, but it had its wealthy inhabitants. And so whoever owned this villa, which is a big villa, mm-hmm. was a wealthy man. He and could, they don't know who it was. They don't know any of these people at all. Um, they, I'm not no, they do. Out. Okay. I don't know about the House of mm, Fawn, mm. but there's certainly people that are named from, okay. from Pompeii. And they have, they do find, um, I mean, the process of, of just, you know, uncovering them and deciphering them, but they do find, you know, scrolls and documents. And um, so, no, there are, there are named people. I don't know the House of Fawn. I haven't um, checked before, before doing this, but clearly wealthy. Mm. This is something that would, again, and you still see this in many cultures to this day. It didn't really matter what the outside of the building looked like. So it tends to be four walls. But then you got a main gate. But when you went inside, mm. you would be met with, in this case, you know, um, you you were meant to be impressed. Mm-hmm. So you'd have a reception area. You usually had a courtyard. You'd have a little fountain. Oh, yeah. You'd have rooms off. Um, you know, this is this is very, very expensive, you can imagine. This is in the reception room. Um, so this is a, this is a you know wealthy yeah and what is what is being said here to to the guest? Well, the guest is being told that I'm a wealthy man, mm. I'm a cultured man. It, this this Alexander the Great, albeit a Greek commander, you know, there's something quite Roman about him, isn't there? And um, you know, it's funny though, isn't it, that it was in Rome? Did then you don't know? We none of us know, but yeah. It is funny because he was Greek. But, I mean, I think they're appropriating his, you know, this Macedonian spirit to conquer the world. Mm. You know, they're taking it upon themselves. And I think, you know, that they're making him look Roman rather than Greek. Yeah. Um, You would be so funny about everyone walking on it, though, wouldn't you? I would be. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be tempted to cover it up. (laughs) You're just like a brand new carpet. Oh, I've just got my. Uh, well, can you imagine? I mean, they're coming and a half pieces of mosaic on the floor. I mean, if it's rained <laughs> and they're coming in, on, coming in and off a muddy street. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'll be freaking out. No, that would definitely. Yeah. But yeah. Alexander the Great, then they never found his body, or have they found no, it now? No, Still no. No, no, never found him. There are people. There, you know, occasionally there'll be a documentary made about the discovery of Alexander's tomb, but the, you know, then all nonsense. Do you think it'll ever be found? No, no. well. Who knows? No idea, but I doubt it. Um, mm, be interesting. But I think I think more broadly, um, and I think again, this is what, as I said, artists like Raphael discovered in, or realised in the 16th century. Um, you know, you, you ignore the past at your peril. If you, th- you know, that this idea that what we are doing now is is the best. You know, we're the we're the greatest artists that have ever lived. We've nothing to learn from the past. Mm-hmm. What nonsense! Yeah, and I think that sculptors like Michelangelo suddenly realised that there were Romans, some of whom were names, some of whom they knew the names of, some of whom they didn't, were sculpting that he considered. Well, he probably didn't consider quite his equal, but he considered to be almost his equal. Right. Um, that because again. There are plenty of paintings, you know, wall paintings that have survived. Again, they influence Raphael. If you go to the Vatican today, the so-called Raphael rooms, um, or just in the corridors leading up to them, it's copies of Roman wall paintings that they saw in newly discovered 
Roman buildings, not least Nero's Golden House in Rome, um, they suddenly realised that, you know, what artists had been doing 15, 1600 years earlier, they could learn from and they could admire and they could aspire to be the equal of. Um, And, you know, we still have these kind of myths and legends, this idea that, you know, the Dark Ages... (laughs) Well, actually, some of the artwork of the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages is extraordinary. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of pompous and arrogant of us to imagine that what we do is somehow better than what our ancestors could do. Well, I'm a new person, aren't I? I've started looking at all sorts of things because yeah. of this. Only because of this, I was just sitting in my greenhouse happily chipping away at the, getting the tomatoes sorted out when we first started talking about doing this. Well, I mean... Now, I've got no tomatoes. It's too wet. <laughs> so, but at least I started looking at art. <laughs> I tell you what, that's, maybe that's why Alexander went east, because he was just fed up in Euro- <laughs> European rain. Um, but, uh, yeah, mosaics. I, abs- mm. I mean, you, you're on holiday in Tunis. You might not think, oh, I'm going to go... To-. Or Seuss. I think it was in Seuss. You might not think to go and visit the Mosaic Museum. Oh, oh I think I would have done, actually. It is unbelievable. Yeah. And even in Britain, mm. where obviously we are, I mean, some of the mosaics that they found, in, like in Sussex. Yeah. They absolutely, I mean, it was, it was a real craft, and they're absolutely beautiful. Sometimes it's just patterns, mm. and sometimes it is, you know, more, um, I mean, some of the vines, and the. I think it's incredible. The fruit, you feel like you can just pluck them and yeah, eat them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's all made with this, with these tiny little tesserae, little chips of of marble, um, and you can imagine ships travelling through the empire with different coloured marbles. I mean, I, mean I, I really think you should make that documentary. It sounds fab. Go on, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> if someone, like you haven't got enough on. <laughs> if somebody commissions it. I'll do it. But um, yeah, I mean, the freedom of travel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, particularly, well, right now it doesn't exist, does it? No. But, I mean, the ability to to travel within Europe has maybe never been equaled than, than the Roman Empire. I mean, kind of. Um, <laughs> but it's, 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 I mean, the other thing to, to say, of course, which is important, is the Roman attitude towards art. Mm. This idea that it was important it was part of your civilization. Yeah. They wanted, okay, there are plenty of people that whose needs were just to eat and survive. I suspect some of Alexander's, you know, more junior soldiers yeah. weren't too concerned about what was on their walls. But there was a strata, a large strata, a large percentage of Roman population for whom art was really important. And the decoration in your house wall paintings, mosaics, statues. Yeah. Um, it was part of your society, part of your civilization. Um, it was important that your town looked good, that there were statues in the main forum, that the buildings, you know, there was a real attitude towards the way they built things um, that I think we could actually learn a lot from. Yeah. I think it's um, still like that today in Italy, surely. I mean, it's fantastic, isn't it? Well, I have. I've only been a few places, and I've also been awestruck. With yeah, it. I love it. Well, I realise I haven't even scratched the surface now, 
So it's another place to go back to visit. Yeah, as soon as we can travel again. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know that there's that in. I'm not sure that in London today there's the same attitude towards kind of. I'm sure there's there's rather less uh, kind of focus on how aesthetically beautiful a building is or a mm, square. Yeah, more of it seems to me to be you know. How much floor rent can we yeah. extract from yeah. building the tallest building possible, even if it completely dwarfs the church next door or the... Um, that is a shame. It really is a shame. Romans thought a great deal about what is the nature of the ideal city. Now, there's also a political imperative. There's a military imperative. They have big, wide roads to allow troops to go through and they'll have defensive walls and all that. You know, there's other things going on, but beauty was very important. And I think this mosaic is a great example I of that. I think they've nailed it. They've nailed it. Mm. And they've got the sun. Yeah, well, I d- didn't. Uh, <laughs> and it helps. It does, it does. And they've got fabulous food. It does make a difference if, well, okay. It does make a difference if it's sunny and you're sitting outside mm. a lot. Yeah. And getting outside. And obviously, you, you, again, the public spaces become more important, don't they? Mm. Um. But I mean, you know, we we live in Brighton. What would you consider to be our town square? Mm, yeah, well, just where uh, the town hall is is probably still where people get married. You know? Yeah, but you wouldn't sit out. You wouldn't wander down to the. No. You know, like in Spain, they have the paseos yeah. where people go out for a walk to see each other. What would you think would be the town square? Oh, by the pavilion, maybe. Hmm. The I pavilion's mean, quite something, actually. Pavilion is quite something, but mm. it's still, where would you, I guess you'd wander down to the sea. We from, always go to the sea. Go to the sea from, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. We always head to the sea. But I mean, in Brighton, can you think of any mosaics? There must be some somewhere, but I can't think of any to hand. Not off the top of my head. Maybe on the floor of the dome and just never noticed, but it'll probably just oh, be no, some. Oh, no, there is some on the floor of the dome. There is, as you walk in. Probably just a couple of dolphins. Or... Do you know what? I'm going to have to go and have a look. Yeah. I've only ever really... Be nothing like been this, so busy though. to get in for a gig that I probably haven't noticed the floor. But the, actually, the dome is actually quite stunning. Mm. Those entrance halls. No, now we need to go and find all the mosaics in Brighton. Don't so, we? moral is: look down, <laughs> look down, as look well up. As up. <laughs> Thank you. Until next week. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Painting of the Week podcast. For more information, please visit our website at seventh-art.com. Or contact us by emailing info at seventh-art.com. See you next time. <laughs>